And so we're here to just worship a God who has been incredibly generous to us. And our response in seeing him sending his son as a baby to be our savior, I don't know what other response there is to simply say, thank you and wow. And so with that wow factor of how God, our awesome our God is, would you join me in prayer and to just say, you are God. Lord, at this time, capture and captivate our hearts and minds for you. May your word become relished and yearned for and longed after, that it not only instructs, but it fuels our passion and faith and hope in you. God, may my words be not of human origin, but may it be inspired by your spirit, and may you speak to us, God, in our unique way, personal way, to challenge us and to motivate us, but also to assure us that you're the God who has a hold of us rather than us having a hold of you. And so be glorified, and may the words that I speak be what is on your heart, God. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in that time of year again, folks, where some of you may have started already, but in six days, no, four days, it's the New Year's. So I always ask this every year, but how many of you have sketched out a New Year's resolution already? All right. So you guys are, the rest of you are all cynical and disappointed because you do it every year and it's not worth doing it anymore. Or, and so New Year's resolution, it's one of those things where we say it, like, I want to become healthier. I want to uh, get more involved. I want to balance my time better. And it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to do it. And all humans know it's easier said than done. And giving lip service doesn't get us far. I think that's similar to faith. I think with God, it's so easy to talk the talk. And I hate this phrase because it's so overused, but it's so true. It's, it's easy to talk the talk about God. We need to be good. We need to serve. I need to know God. But what the Bible commands us, are you walking the walk? I love how Enoch was referred to in Hebrews 11 as the one who loved God and pleased God, and Enoch never died. He was one of two people that never died. And all it says about Enoch was he lived and he walked with God. I love that. And so you and I were called to walk with God, not just to be good, not just to live, but to have this relationship with God, not just to merely talk, but walk. And this is what Paul writes in Titus 1.16. He says, these people, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. And so Paul's referring to this group who talks about God, gives lip service. We need to do this. we got to do that. God is great. But when you look at their actions, there is this disconnect. It's like our New Year's resolutions. I need to stop cutting down on soda. And, and I, I have a bad yeah, habit with eating at late at night. And so it's one thing to say it, one thing to do it. And James is hitting on that idea. We need to stop just talking about it. What are you doing about it? I think in humanity, we have this uh, luxurious idea that we want to do grandeur things for humankind. There was a guy named Shane Claiborne, and he's a modern-day monastic, they say. And listen to what he says. He's a pastor who does this outside-the-box church ministry. 
And he says, it can be fashionable to talk about the poor. Right? Everyone talks about the poor. We've got to help the poor. But not as fashionable to talk to the poor. It may be popular to talk about injustice and still not know any victims of injustice. But we will never make poverty history until we make poverty personal. What is he saying there? Talk about injustice. Talk about poor. But are you talking to the poor? Are you involved in injustice? Or are you merely saying, this can't be the way it has to be? Or are you doing something about it? I have a friend, um, uh, Eugene Cho. He was one of my youth pastors, and he's a pastor of a church called Quest in Seattle. He wrote a book called Overrated, and the title of the book alone is worth buying. Um, He didn't pay me for this plug, by the way, but... It's title of the book is overrated. Are we more in love with the idea of changing the world than actually changing the world? Wow. Are we more in love with the idea of changing the world than actually changing the world? And I think this is what James is saying. Do you love talking about it and you love this idea, but do your actions relate to that? And I tie this to New Year's resolutions all the time. And so James says, how does genuine faith look like in your life? Right? Um, I think this is a struggle for a lot of us. I think it's a struggle for me. Like, I love talking about, we got to reach this community. Jason, what are you doing about it, really? And I struggle with that. It's a common thing that we all face. Do I love talking about it? Do I love talking about how good God is? And do I also live it out in a way that reflects that? Um, you, you know this. So if my mom, um, my, did I ever tell you about my mom? She's, she's like, she's getting older, so her back is bad. And she keeps hosting like 50, like, like big parties at her house. She loves cooking. She makes kimchi and she makes Korean food and she loves cooking. And she's like, I am so tired. So we're like, mom then stop hosting these crazy parties where you're inviting half the church. She's like, I know, I know. I got to stop. Two weeks later, I'm so tired. Why are you tired? I just had the whole pastoral staff of our church over, all 15 of them. So, you know, it's one thing to say, I got to cut down. Are you doing it? But in a side, I'm so glad she's doing it because she loves serving. But there's that tension there, isn't there? What we intend what we desire, what we lift up, and what we do. And James is talking about this. Notice how James calls this out. He's writing, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, right? I go to church. I have a cross necklace. I'm a Christian. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? He's saying, what kind of faith is that? All right, you believe in God, but you have no deeds. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If no one, one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Isn't that hilarious? I mean, you see the visual there. I'm hungry. Do you have food? Oh, God bless you, brother. I'll pray for your food. You know, or can I take you to McDonald's and get you food? Um, my, my family, we learned this in the website, but each of you should have like a, like a knapsack with food, 
tuna fish, crackers, water bottle, tissue. And so when, peop- when you go to those red lights off the exit ramp and people are holding out like f- money, it's a great, they love receiving that because you don't have to give money, but you give them packages that they need. And so it's this thoughtfulness of how do we not just condemn and get political, but how do we just feed people? And so James is saying, it doesn't matter if you go to church, if you're not living the life of Christ. That's basically what he's saying. And so just talking about the problem is not going to solve the problem. And so Jesus says this, and it's not an idea from James. By the way, James is the brother of who? Jesus. If you think you had sibling problems, how about that? Your brother is the son of God. And if your sibling ever says, I am the son of God, that's a hard mountain to climb by faith to say, I believe. Most of you, you know, you look at your brother, you're like... Anyway, so Jesus says this. Uh, He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What is Jesus' principle here? How do you tell authentic followers of me? By which church they attend? By their what? Fruit. What fruit is being produced in their lives that indicate their authenticity? You see, it's not just about what we say, but it's how you live. Um, when I was in youth group, we used this prop a lot. You know, you heard this story. If someone goes into your house and sees your life, and they're trying to convict you whether you're a Christian or not, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you are a follower of Christ by how you live? You know? How do, they, how do you live? It's not what you know. So James goes into that. It's not what you know. Faith is not merely having the right information. I love what James says. Um, you believe there, there is one God? Good. And lo- I love the sarcasm. You believe there's one God? Good. You know what company you're in? Demons. Welcome to the club. So what's James' point? It's not enough to have mere information, but from the information, we need to have transformation in us by God. So we are in this battle, I feel sometimes, where we're like, who has a better truth? Um, Applying it personally, I know a lot about gymnastics. I know that there's uneven bars, there's uh, iron rings, and the, the rings, and I know that there's a somersault, and there's a, what's that? That the horse? No. The pommel horse. Pommel horse. And my dream one day was to make that iron cross. You know, I thought, like, that looks, looks pretty hot. You know, like, guys, like, oh, you know, it just looks awesome. And I couldn't even hang on to it. So I know a lot about gymnastics, but I can't do a somersault for my life. Uh, some of you will attest to this. I know a lot about golf, but I, I can't break 90, you know. Like, I know a lot about golf, but I can't beat Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy, right? Do we know the difference? So do you know about it versus are you doing it? And James is saying, what good is it if you know that there's one God? The demons even believe. And so he's saying true faith has to be more than information. We know Trinity. 
We know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know Christmas, he came to us. We know he died 33 years old of age approximately on the cross for our sins and rose again. Great! Have you taken that information and has it affected you in a way that there is transformation in the way you live your life so that the way you raise your kids, the way you see relationships, your attitudes, your habits reflect that there is a depth of faith. And James is saying, that's what I'm talking about. So he gives two examples, Abraham. Abraham was credited as one who had faith. And how did you see that faith revealed? Did Abraham just go, I believe in God? No. He offered his son on the altar to kill him because he trusted that God. And some people say he trusted God so much that even if his son Isaac died, God had the power to raise him from the dead. Wow. Now, that won't fly in 21st century. You know, Facebook, Twitter posts, local La Mirada pastor holds a knife to his son, believing that God has called him to. No, that won't fly. But it flew with Abraham, and God said, Stop, Abraham. Now I believe you trust in me. I think we need, not that dramatic, but we need those moments where do you risk and come out of your protective shelter to act out in faith? Or are you so calculating that it's all in your domain where there's no faith required? We call these, the theological term, control freaks. I am the master of my domain. And so he talks about Rahab, this prostitute, who, by the way, was a Gentile prostitute who became the ancestor of who? King David and then eventually Jesus. Why was she credited for faith? She didn't just say, Israel, you guys are coming to destroy my land. I believe your God is real. She actually helped and took a step, risked her own life, and said, can you spare my family? Faith without deeds is dead, James is saying. And so when we look at all these things, this is where the tension comes in. Wait a minute. I thought I'm saved by faith alone. Why do I need to have deeds? And I think this is a... That's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I'll give it in this way. You're saved by faith alone, but genuine faith includes work. In other words, you can't work for your salvation, but genuine faith will be revealed, including works. Even easier put, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works so that genuine faith frees us up to do that so ephesians 2 8 10 that nathan read nathan good job reading that was really well read um so he says this you know for it is by grace you have been saved through faith which we say can we say as a church hallelujah You don't need to jump through a loophole. You don't need to kiss the pastor's hand. You don't need to say 20,000 prayers. There's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. It is by faith through grace you have been saved. It It is by grace through faith you've been saved. No works required. Right? And Paul continues in that same sentence. The next line is this. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works. To what? 
do good works. We're saved by Christ through faith for what? Now to do good works. And that's where James and Paul comes together and says, we're talking about the same things, folks. So in other words, I make fun of, pastors make fun of this because we're insecure and we have our flaws. We make fun of CEOs. You know what CEOs are? Christian Easter-only Christians. They go to church Christmas and Easter. And so if you talk to them, are you a Christian? They'll say, you bet your bottom dollar I'm a Christian. I go to church. And I think what James is saying is, great. You, sit, you go to church twice a year when everyone goes, great. Even demons shudder. Now let me ask you, in your life, does your faith play out in deeds that reveal your faith? That's our challenge to us, folks, 2016, huh? I want our church to be that weird church where people actually live out their faith. I want us to go out into the world to say, here's how radical we are. I'm willing to turn the other cheek because my, Je- my Lord Jesus Christ turned the other cheek for me. I'm willing to walk the extra mile for those people I can't stand because my Lord carried the cross an extra mile for me. So it's going from information to application and transformation and can i tell you something cool when you take james word and you actually live it guess what grows you'll see your faith stretching out um there was a i'm a movie buff do you guys remember indiana jones and the last crusade oh it's so at the end of it he's getting to the cup the 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 golden chalice the yeah where You know, it's like this cup that gives you everlasting life. Anyway, he's at the final, and there's this huge canyon, and then the final clue is take a step of faith, and there's like a bottomless pit. So Indiana Jones is like, okay, there's no other word there, and it's, it's, you know, it's Hollywood, so you know this is all real stuff. It's based on true stories. And then Indiana Jones does this. Remember that scene? And he goes, there's a cliff, and he goes, (gasps) do you remember that? And he doesn't drop. And then he scatters dirt on the ground, and it turns out there is an invisible camouflage bridge, and you couldn't see it until you took a step of faith. Our faith isn't growing because we're not willing to take that step of faith where God is calling us into because we're too safe. And James is saying faith without deeds it's dead. And so the compelling love for James to us, the church, it's don't just claim to have faith. Live it. So I just want to wrap it up with these just three short applications. If you're not a believer and you're in this room right now and you don't know if this Jesus thing is true, can I just tell you one good news that I want to share with you? God doesn't want anything for you to do. He doesn't want you to go to church for 50,000 years. The good news is this. He just simply wants you to humbly say, God, help me to believe. Help me to have faith. That's it. Salvation is that easy where God has given us all the work he says is done. Jesus Christ died. He rose again. And for us to know God is simply to say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. That's it. That's it. Lord, I'm a sinner, and there's nothing I could do. 
And Jesus says, you're darn right, that's it. Because my grace for you is free. It's a gift. So that's good. And that's how Christianity is different from every religion. I love that God just gives us a gift. And so Paul is right. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not by works. So some of you who are saying, am I saved? Does God still love me because I messed up? God loves you when you were messed up times 10. He didn't save you because you were unmessed up. He saved you and made you whole. So that's the good news, that our Christianity is not beating you and saying, stop smoking, you sinner. That's like this weird religion that people made up. Christianity is, we're all sinners. The preacher, the preacher, he's the chief of sinners. And we're saved by this gift of grace through Jesus Christ. That's good news. And so, second application is for those who are in church, it's time to practice faith. Amen? I mean, it's time for us to say, I don't want to just sing the hill songs, hymns, know the Lord's Prayer. I want to live it. I want this faith to be risked. I want it to be followed up with deeds. And so, how does that affect your giving, your serving, your habits? How does that affect your attitude that God is God? How does that affect the way your relationships look? That God is truly glorified. And so here's a fun question, and I want you to be bothered by this, and we'll wrap it up. If God, if your trust in God is that God is truly who he says he is, and you fully believe in that, if God is who he says he is, how would that change how you live, knowing that God is fully reliable, fully dependable, and that your faith in him, your confidence in him is unshakable, how would that change the way you look at your everyday life? That is your homework. And as you look at the new year, if my confidence in God is that he is anchor of my soul, how would that change how you look at everything? And I want you to sit with that question and with that tension. And so, just a final, final anecdote. In 19th century, there was a Paris, Parisian tightrope worker named Blondin. And some of you may have heard the story. He was, in 19th century, they didn't have internet or, you know, computers or games, so they had entertainment. But he did the first amazing thing. He tightrope across the whole Niagara Falls. So that's pretty impressive, right? That's and so people were like, Blondin, you're the best. And then Blondin walked blindfolded. They're like, you're amazing. And then Blondin went to the crowd and said, Mister, he pointed to a guy, do you believe I could take a wheelbarrow, carry a man, and walk across the tightrope? And he said, you bet I believe you. He goes, come. And, he, and the man said, no. <laughs> it was such a profound, short moment, unplanned and it reveals what we need to go into. We could say we believe. We could be excited. You are the man. And when Jesus says, come, are you willing to step into that wheelbarrow? Because my life is in your hands. And you are great enough to carry me across this ravine of life. 
I want to ask you, if there's anybody in this world that you want to place your children's lives and your life in the hands, it's the hands of the one who took the nails for you and rose again and defeated death and said, I am the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. I am God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, can I confess to you, gosh, I am the first to struggle with this. The difference between preaching it and talking about it and saying it and living it out, God, so forgive me for the times that my actions don't reflect the faith that I have in you. Lord, move us as a community that as we look to a new year that anchors our trust and confidence so deep in you that it actually starts altering the course of our values and decision and the way we look at the world through your eyes, through the confidence as a little child to, to his or her father. Lord, move us. We don't want to just proclaim you. We want to live in you and as your hands and feet. We want to place our lives in the hands of the one who gave himself all, who came out of the heavenly realm to become a baby so that our lives and our souls would be redeemed. So, Lord, give us the courage. Give us the humility to acknowledge that we need your strength and help to let our faith be revealed through our works, not just for this church, not just for our families, but for this world that you're trying to redeem through us. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray these things in the name of our son, your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever.